Good afternoon, and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to see your true self in the midst of life's twists and turns. You'll be challenged to think outside of the box when it comes to the mysteries of life. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews. Good afternoon, and welcome to the Authentic Living Show. You know, there's lots of people out there telling us all kinds of things about heaven, mostly They're telling us that it's a place we go to, a place, a literal place we go to after we die. Um, There are other people that are saying, you know, something is heavenly when it's delicious and uh, decadent. Uh, There are other people that are saying heaven is a place where, you know, here on planet Earth where, you know, life is really, really good. Uh, But mostly what we hear is that it's a place we go after we die. And if... We are good enough or have, uh, have done the right ritual or have said the right prayer. Then we get to go there and be there for an eternity. And we think of heaven in those terms. So when it's spoken of in terms of any kind of earthly existence, um, we think of it typically in this new thought kind of human potential movement as abundance. Um, and so for many of us, uh, abundance has come to mean lots and lots of money and time off to do whatever we want. So what is heaven? Is it at all possible that we can experience it here on planet Earth? What would Jesus say about that or Buddha or the mystical texts of the uh, of the ancient mystical Sufi texts or the sutras of Buddhism or Hinduism, Taoism or, or as I said, Sufism? So we're going to talk a little bit about what that means. Um, we're going to offer the concept of heaven a sort of different paradigm today. And talk a little bit about what that means. The first thing we have to understand is that the whole idea about what heaven is and isn't came about because we were trying to discover um, what it was to be okay and safe here on this planet. Um, we... We experience life as after after the point at which we began to see life in dualistic terms, whenever that point was. I don't know whether it was um, we'd already been here for many centuries before that happened or what, but somewhere along the way there was a metaphorical Garden of Eden, and we began to, after that, experience ourselves as separate from the divine. And in that process, what happened is we began to look in terms of of, of of a reality where things could be unsafe. Prior to that time, there was no lack of safety. Everything was taken care of. We were fed from the dew of the earth and the plants and fruits of the trees. We uh, could name all the animals and befriend them. We we were not uh, we could not did not experience suffering. But after we accepted into our mind, into our mind and body, the Duality trance state, which if you want to hear more about that, there's several different episodes, one in particular called duality that you can listen to in the archives that will explain it in depth. Um, but uh, after we began, to, we incorporated the into the body-mind the state of duality in which we were hypnotized into believing that we were separate from the divine, we could then suffer because we could see life in a different way. And that is the warning that was given to us by the divine, as it's metaphorically told in the Old Testament, uh, where uh, the divine tells us that 
you know, we're going to have to work hard to, to, to grow our crops and, and therefore we'll be able to feed ourselves, but we'll suffer to, to get our food and women will have to be in labor to have their babies. And the metaphor of that is anything we create is going to be a lot of hard work. And, and, uh, you know, so there was going to be a lot of suffering because we believed that we were separate from the divine. Not because we had sinned from the traditional uh, perspective, but when you look at the root language, you see a meta- more metaphorical perspective and a metaphysical perspective in which we begin to see that we believed we were separate from the divine and therefore we began to suffer. So our concepts about good and evil come about as a result of our concepts about suffering. Here's how that works. So once upon a time, we uh, might say it this way, a story we could put together this way. I'm not, I'm worried about my crops and whether or not they will grow. And so I feel that if I'm, if I sacrifice some of my crops to the gods or the God, uh, then I, then I will be okay. They will look favorably on me. Um, and that began to grow into if I behave accordingly, if I behave a certain way, then I will have the good fortune that I'm looking for. If I am a good person, then I will have the good fortune that I'm looking for. And we see that metaphor really sort of exposed in the book of Job in the Bible, which many people have written about. There's been plays written about it. Uh, Carl Jung wrote uh, a specific um, treatise to it called The Answer to Job. And I recommend that reading. It's good reading. Um, in which, you know, we, we begin to see that there's lots of different ways to consider that book. But one of the main things that it talks about is the concept of suffering as a punishment for evil doing. Because all of Job's friends thought that he had done something wrong. And that's why he was being punished. And if it wasn't something very public that other people could see, that it must be something secret and private that perhaps even Job didn't know about. Some secret sin that he just needed to confess, and then his suffering would go away. And uh, not to speak of the 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 uh, how he got into this position of the pawn here in the game of chess that was being metaphorically played between the God and the Satan that are portrayed in this book. Uh, he is, he, they are sort of gambling with his suffering to say, which, where is he going to land? Is he going to land on God's side or the devil's side? It, you know, it's kind of the football top uh, game where is it going to be Auburn or Alabama that wins this year? Obviously it's not going to be Auburn this year, but uh, so when we, when we consider that whole concept of punishment for bad doing, that is where our ideas about our worthiness as people came to be. And so now we live our lives in spaces circumscribed by rules. The rules are either passed down to us or we make them up as we go or we paint our circles with an odd mixture of both. But rules are rules and they are followed. Even if the rule is that we should break all the rules, such as in, in the example of someone who has uh, a bully identity, for example. Um, well, that's still the rule, and it's got to be followed. There is a code of the street that must be followed, and that's the rule, and that's how I prove myself worthy on the street, is to follow that rule. So we build for ourselves a labyrinth within which we walk our lives. Do we pray as we go? Some do. Some don't. Do we solemnly seek the center? Some do. Some don't. Do we run into others coming back from the center as we go? 
Sometimes the empty spaces around a corner fogs into the breath of another. Sometimes not. Sometimes we walk alone. But we walk always within the outer circle, circumscribed by the rules of our lives. Why do we do this? Because in this way we divine our worth. Even if our worth is measured by the number of rules we've broken, as I said just a moment ago, still it's our worth. Why do we need to divine our worth? Now that, that is the question. Why is it that we need to find ourselves worthy? What is it about life on planet Earth that makes us believe that we have to feel worthy? And on the flip side of that, why is it that when we don't feel worthy, we feel ashamed? These are questions that have to do with that very beginning that started centuries ago in which we began to say, I must be safe, I must be fed, I must be clothed, I must be okay, my family must be okay. And because we devised these kind of bargains with the universe or with the divine beings that we worshipped, we we put this bargain out there that said, if I follow these rules, then I'll have a good life. And we all still have that archetypally inside our unconscious so that we all know that there's – it's possible that even when we don't really believe in God, we have this sort of code, this ethical code that we need to follow. Well, what I'm wondering – and what my next book is all about, which is going to be coming out either later this year or early in the spring of 2013, uh, is, is there someone inside of us who can manage our lives in a way that is healthy and happy and graceful, compassionate, giving and truth-telling without having to follow a moral code? Now, that's a dangerous question to ask in these times, but I'm asking it, and I'm going to ask it more boldly in my book when it comes out. And it will be coming out. It's already been accepted for publication. They're just working on the production of it. So uh, the book is called Inhabiting Heaven Now. Um, and uh, the subtitle of the book is The Answer to Every Moral Dilemma, Every Pose. Now, why is it that if we inhabit heaven now, we have the answer also to every moral dilemma posed. Well, there's a whole lot to be said about that. And of course, it took a whole book to say it. So I'm not going to be able to cover it all in this, in this, uh, setting. But I will be able to say to you that we seem to be the only living entities on planet Earth who need a code to follow. That seems to be a distinction between us and other animals, us and other organ, organisms. Um, we don't, you know, they, we don't know whether they're thinking and feeling. We don't know if they have a soul or not. We don't know if they have emotions or not. We decided somewhere along the way that they didn't, but anyone who's got a dog or a cat knows that's not true. Um, and, you know, so does a bird who's flying by have emotions, you know? We think we know this thing. We've attributed, we've projected onto them that we are higher beings and they are the lower beings. And sometimes I have to admit that I wonder. I wonder sometimes if they are the higher beings and we are the lower beings because they don't seem to need a code. They seem to just respond out of something true and real inside of them. Have you ever seen a dog lie? They don't have to lie. Have, have, do animals, can animals lie? They can't. They don't have it in them. We can. Why? Because we believe we're separate from the divine. Do they believe they're separate from the divine? I wonder sometimes. You may have thoughts of your own. I'd love to hear them. 
So feel free to call in or write me and let me know about that. But uh, here's the deal. In terms of the the sense of worthiness or unworthiness, as far as I can tell, we're the only ones measuring that. We're the only ones deciding on our worth. And, uh, you know, I've, I've literally heard people get mad at someone and just say, well, he's just worth nothing. He's just worthless. Of course, expletives deleted there, but he's just worthless. So, you know, when we, when we can measure someone else and say they're worthless, we can also measure ourselves and say we're worthless. So if I'm worthless, what am I? I'm a piece of trash. I'm to be thrown out or flushed. I'm nothing. Um, how many children grow up in homes where a father or a mother is saying, you're going to amount to nothing? Um, total projection, probably because they feel like they've amounted to nothing. But it's the measuring. It's The problem is that we're measuring. And we measure by a code. A little while ago, I talked about the code of the street. When I was working in an alcohol and drug and treatment facility um, several years ago, I learned about this code of the street, learned quite a bit about it uh, because we were working with homeless individuals who also have an al- had an alcohol or drug problem. Some of them were in gangs. Some of them were just homeless. Some of them were on the fringes of being homeless. But they were, it's not, it was a not-for-profit organization because they could not afford to pay exorbitant prices to go to a rehab. So, um, we were working with these folks and one of the things that I really learned was the code of the street was the snitch is the bitch. One of the codes of the street is the snitch is the bitch. You've probably heard that if you've watched any TV about prisoners or anything like that. But the idea is that we don't tell on each other. We do not. That's the code of the street. And I have literally seen um, situations where one one of the individuals in a treatment facility, all of them are addicted, very strongly addicted to something. One of them sneaks drugs into the facility. Other people know it, and they will white-knuckle their way through to make sure that they don't use when somebody else is using, and they're not going to tell on this person because the snitch is the bitch. So when when uh, when the when it came down, it comes down to whether or not their program, their recovery program, gets sabotaged by somebody else. They would rather sabotage their own program and do it proudly than tell on this other person. Tell the other, tell the staff that there's somebody in our treatment facility using drugs and they're driving us crazy because we want to use and we're watching them use and it makes us want to use. Um, they don't do that. Won't do it. Would, would literally die before telling on another person. So that's how strong that code is. And those codes are have to do with measuring the self. I am measuring myself by how well I stand up to this code. And for many of those for whom the bitch snitches the bitch, the code was, I'm a man if I can hold it in and not tell on somebody else. And I'm not a man if I can't. So when it comes down to really understanding what's really going on there, what we're saying is that um, these codes – are just ways we've made up to uh, to measure ourselves, to say to ourselves, I'm worthy or I'm unworthy. And we came up with these codes initially based on fear. So again, we started off thinking I've got to be safe, and we started bargaining with the universe of the God or gods, and we started saying, if I sacrifice this, then I will be okay, then I'll be safe. And over time, that began to evolve more out of, away from sacrifices, literal sacrifices of sides of beef or a goat or a lamb or a a bushel of grain or something like that, 
to more like our behavior. So our behavior became the sacrifice. I will be good. Therefore, the gods will be good to me. And it was a trade. And it was based in the idea that the gods needed us to be good. And where we got that idea, I don't know. <laughs> we we got it from the notion that we were separate from the divine. Whereas if the divine is out there somewhere and can't be known or understood and it's a mystery, then I can't really, I have got to figure out some way to sort of guarantee that my life is going to be okay. But the, if I am the divine, that makes life a whole different ballgame and measuring our worth ceases to exist. Because we don't, we're not thinking about whether or not we're worthy anymore. And, uh, so that whole idea, uh, is based in fear. And, and we've developed a, a list of codes that we can be, can be very generalized to, to more specifically say how it is that we operate in our life. So I'm going to talk a little bit about some of the codes and I'm, I'm going to start on a few of them now and then we'll take a break and I'll come back and talk about a few more. The first one is don't be selfish. We've heard that all of our lives. Share. You know, we heard that from when we were little kids, sharing. And, and I, I've told this story before, but I'll tell it again. I remember a time when my, my daughter, uh, came home. It was my son's birthday and he was opening his presents and as is considered normal, um, they did not, uh, well, he did not want to share his toys. And my daughter got extremely upset and told me that she thought he was going to go to hell if he didn't share. And I asked her, where in the world did she get that idea? And she said the Sunday school teacher had told her that and they had been to church earlier that morning to my, um, to my husband's church. And, uh, and I said, well, what was going on just before she said that? And she said, well, we weren't sharing. And I said, well, could it be that maybe she was telling you that you might go to hell if you didn't share because she really wanted you to share? And she went, yeah, that's what it is. And she got up, ran out of the room, and then she was ready to hear that he'll share his toys in a minute when he gets tired of playing with them. And you can play with the ones that he's tired of playing with because it is his birthday. And when it's your birthday, we'll do the same thing. So she was able to see that she'd been told a myth. It wasn't really true. And uh, and that's where we all need to come to when it comes to recognizing this issue of worthiness. Uh, to recognize ourselves as divine beings is to recognize there is no issue of worthiness. And we're going to talk more about that and the code of don't be selfish right after the break. Stay tuned for more from the Authentic Living Show. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Are you tired of the government squandering your tax dollars on bailouts and overpaid bureaucrats? On Free Markets with Dr. Mike Beitler, Mike Beitler and his guests explain why big government regulations are the problem and innovative businesses and free markets are the solution. Listen to Free Markets with Dr. Mike Beitler, Thursday mornings at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Network. Every moment that we live provides us with numerous opportunities to grow more deeply spiritually through our active engagement in positive, concrete ways that can uplift, encourage, and help ourselves and each other. 
Become a part of Our Sacred Journey with your host, Audrey Katagawa. Our program will include guests who will share their experiences with you to inspire you to help create a peaceful, cooperative present and future and to explore your creativity and the valuable contributions which you can make. Our Sacred Journey airs live Mondays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on 7th Wave. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Be extraordinary. Be the change. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. we're back talking today about the possibility that we can live right now on planet earth in heaven and in order to explore that we have to understand the mythology that tells us that we can't do that so that's what we're talking about and and what we've said so far is that we decided many years ago many centuries ago that that we were separate from the divine and uh, and we based our decisions after that on fear that the divine wasn't going to be good to us, and so we we decided ultimately after sacrifice that we should be good people, and therefore the God or gods would be good to us. And we have devised many centuries of planning that out and plotting that out, so that now every institution that we have formulated has as a base of foundation this battle between good and evil. Our our healthcare institutions, our governments, our politics, our um, churches, our schools, our um, families, all of the institutions that we've devised since the beginning of time have been based on this idea that there's a major battle between good and evil going on as a foundational premise. And that's, of course, not that the only premise that goes on, but there's a premise there. And so when people talk to us about what's going on in hospitals, what we want to know is, are they getting good care? Are good things happening there? When people talk about education, is, is, are the children being disciplined? Are they being taught to be good? Um, and uh, when we talk about politics, well, are they good politicians or bad politicians? Or, uh, you know, all pal- politicians are bad, so they can't be any good. That's how we talk about it. We base all of our understanding of life on that one foundational premise that there's a grand battle between good and evil. I posit there is no such battle. We've made that all up. Not because there is no God, not because, uh, you know, there is, uh, because there's all traditional religion is false, because I don't believe it is, um, but because uh, we have formulated the concept that we are separate from the divine, and we are not. So let's talk a little bit about that whole thing. How do, what are the, some of the codes that we are told to obey in this mythology? Uh, one of those is that we should never be selfish. And as I said before the break, we've been taught that we should always share and we should feel bad when we don't and that if we should always be giving and loving and kind and like everyone and if not like them, love them. Uh, we should always be uh, giving people. And that's 
how we've been raised to believe that if we're not giving people, we're selfish people. And of course, then when we start thinking about ourselves, I hear this all the time, particularly in the South, but I think it, it happens everywhere around the world that, you know, people will say, well, this is selfish of me, but I've been thinking lately that I want to do so and so and so and so. Well, why is that selfish? Because I'm thinking about myself. Well, aren't you supposed to think about yourself sometimes? Aren't you supposed to figure life out based on your own needs and your truest self? Well, no, that's selfish. You're really supposed to be thinking about other people all the time and what you can give to other people. Okay, so now when I've met people that are sort of stuck in that, they're generally surrounded by people who don't care about them. So guess what? Nobody's caring about them. They are taking care of everyone else and nobody's taking care of them. And if you're out there listening to this, you know who you are. So, uh, you know, that whole idea of don't be selfish is basically a lie. It tells us that somehow we can put other people before ourselves. And it tells us that to have compassion and concern and kindness and love and generosity for ourselves is wrong. But it isn't. If we're not taking care of ourselves, ain't nobody taking care of us. Okay, so when we when we tell ourselves that we should not be selfish, we're telling ourselves a lie. Now, that's not to say that there aren't some people out there who have what's called a narcissistic personality disorder, where it's pretty hard for them to even imagine considering somebody else's perspective. But uh, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about that is an illness. And, you know, we could spend a whole hour talking about that. But uh I'm not talking about that illness. What I'm talking about is the generalized idea that we all somewhere have in our archetypal memory that says we should not be selfish. And if we are, we're bad. And uh uh-oh, what does that mean? Then we should feel guilty because feeling guilty is good for us. As a matter of fact, the feeling of guilt is equated with the idea of conscience. If I have a conscience, then I will feel guilty. And if I feel guilty, then that is... That is the law, the moral code in me telling me what, I, what to do. Very often I find that people feel guilty about all kinds of things that they don't need to be feeling guilty about that aren't even based in fact whatsoever. And yet we believe that to feel guilty is a good thing. It's good for us to feel guilty. It shows that we're good people. As a matter of fact, it's so convoluted that if I feel guilty, I can say to myself that I'm a good person, even though I've just done something bad that I feel guilty about. <laughs> That's how convoluted it gets because we... We believe that, that that guilty feeling is good for us. It tells us that we are okay people. When we talk about, you know, criminals that are serial killers and that kind of thing, one of the questions we always ask is, do they have any remorse? And if they don't, well, they're just, that says how bad they are. And that's a measuring stick. So we say, if you feel guilty, then you must have some goodness in you. If you don't feel guilty, you must be bad. Um, and if so, therefore, we are very, 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 very hesitant to let go of our guilt. And yet, guilt is a lie. Is it possible for me to do something I regret? Yes, absolutely. But guilt is a waste of time. And we could talk about that for a whole uh, session. Did that a while back on another archive with Dr. Joan Borisenko. Um, and I would encourage you to listen to that because it, she talks a lot about guilt in that uh, particular um interview and uh and we could talk a lot about it some more but i want to get on to the next one the next one is is equated with the first one and that is you ought to be ashamed 
I mean, if you haven't heard that said to you at least once in your life, you, you're not an American. <laughs> That's just all I have to say to you. Um, it, we were all raised in, in very, diff, very true in different cultures as well as the Western culture. We were raised to believe that we ought to feel ashamed about certain things. Now, guilt says, I've done something wrong. Shame says, I am wrong. And that's the distinction. So I am wrongness itself. Shame says it's in me. It's on me. I, it's this gooey, black, icky stuff that's in me that sometimes every now and then comes out and makes me do bad things. I'm a shameful person. I should feel ashamed. And I got to tell you, one of the things that I work on, work with clients on the most is shame. It is one of the most debilitating, unhealthy, dysfunctional emotions we can ever, ever feel. And yet, we've been raised to feel, to believe that we ought to feel it. And if we don't, we're somehow bad people. The idea of what good does it do? We, we have this hopeless notion that, you know, even if I'm being a good person, well, it's not paying off. You know, that old saying that is, has going around a lot these days, uh, particularly with our economic crisis is, is that, um, no good deed goes unpunished. Uh, the idea is that even if I am being good, what good does it do? So we get hopeless about that. And we're trying to measure ourselves by this standard that sets us up to feel hopeless. What if the standard's wrong? We'll talk about that some more in a minute. Another uh, of the codes is be loyal first to duty. Duty says I, there's a right and there's a wrong. And that's all I need to know. Somebody told me what was right and somebody told me what was wrong and I don't need to know anything else. I don't need to ask myself if that's true or false. I don't need to go inside me and ask me what I feel, what I think is true, what I, what my essence of me is guiding me to do. I don't need to do all that. I just need to listen to the code. The code is there's a right and there's a wrong. And if I do the right, then I'm being loyal to my duty to do the right thing. I can't tell you how many people I work with, have worked with over the past 30 years that say to me, I've just got to do the right thing. It's the wrong thing to do this and it's the right thing to do that. And that's that. So, okay, why'd you come to see me about it? If you've already made your decision, what'd you come see me for? Um, really, they're stuck because they know there's something wrong with this mythology. And it absolutely is a mythology. So the, the idea of duty and obligation says, that makes you a good person. If you do your duty or if you're obligated to people and you owe them something and you've got to pay them back or you've, you got to do good things for your grandma or your aunt or your, you know, whatever, whatever, then you, that's your obligation. It never stops to ask about true heartfelt compassion. That is genuine. Obligation and duty are fake. Can I say that again? Obligation and duty are fake. They don't come from within us. They come from an externalized, internalized external standard. We've internalized it as if it is ours. Because somebody once upon a time said, that's the right thing to do. Go do it. And that's all we know. We haven't ever asked another question. That's a problem. Because we're, we're not going within where heaven exists. So, uh, power is bad. That's another one. If we have power, if we're empowered to be who we truly are, if we become our fullest power, then we're bad people. You can't say, I am divine, because that makes you a bad person. I can't say, I'm, I'm full of being me, because that makes you arrogant. If I, I can't go and assert myself, particularly if I'm a woman, because that makes me the bitch. 
if I'm, if I can say to myself, I have all the power I need to overcome this particular dilemma and I can work with that power and allow it to run through me, then I'm a bad person for doing that. And so it is better. It is a, it is, we think it's more worthy to be powerless than to be powerful. And you add politics to that and you got a big problem. Okay. So power is bad. That's another one of the codes we have to obey. The culture is right. They know. They've been doing this for a long time and they know. You know, once upon a time, the culture thought that slavery was right. Once upon a time, the culture thought that it was wrong for a black man to marry a white woman or a white woman, a black woman to marry a white man. Um, once upon a time, the culture, and still very often does, but more and more it's not true. Once upon a time, the culture thought that uh, homosexuality or uh, gay and lesbianism was a mental illness uh, or worthy of a prison sentence. So, you know, we, we the culture isn't right. <laughs> far, far from it. The culture is built on a bunch of individuals who get together and all say the same thing to each other. That's it. Period. End of subject. And and then we get to be a we as long as we do what everybody else in that culture does. And the minute you start being a somebody who doesn't do with the culture, then you're one of them. So that's why we do the culture thing because it makes us not afraid of being rejected and outcast and isolated and 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 becoming some pariah. Okay. So culture is quite often very very mistaken. But that's not what we believe. Not archetypally. Not way back here in our in our in our heads, even though we could say, well, you know, we can see that there's some things that are really crazy about our culture. Yet inside, we still believe they're right and we have to do what they want or we won't be accepted. So these are problems and these codes make us, uh, uh, help us to sort of stay stuck in the duality trance state where we don't know heaven here on earth. And add to that that we've decided there's some mystical forces out there that are also against us and that are keeping us from heaven. So in that way, then, the those those mystical forces uh, have bigger power than we do. In fact, uh, if from traditional religion, I would say, just by listening to what I hear all the time, that the supervillain Satan, known all over the world as from the devil, Beelzebub, Iblis, Satanel, Mara, Set, and other names throughout the world. That guy is bigger, stronger, more potent, and more powerful than God in the traditional idea of what religion is, Western religion in particular, and sometimes some of the Eastern religions as well. Uh, that guy is the ruler of this world uh, who died and made him ruler. I'm trying to figure that out, but that's what has happened. He's called he, it, she, it, whatever it is. This metaphor that we use for something called Satan is bigger than anything else here on planet Earth. Uh, not all religions have a, a devil. Zoroastrianism, Hinduism, and the Baha'i faith, and a few others, uh, they don't have a supernatural evil force. But in those religions where Satan exists, he is supposedly in some kind of battle of the universe for a seat at the table of the divine, and he would prefer to take over the very throne of the divine. From that perspective, the divine is seen as ultimate goodness, referred to as holiness, and Satan as the ultimate evil. 
And these two forces are at war for control over the mind of collective humanity. And it is this theory that is the basis for much of our morality, a morality based, as I previously pointed out, in fear. So because we believe in this mystical, mysterious evil force that's out there trying to get us to be against God, we have given it a lot of power in our minds to sort of say, what's really going on here on planet earth and that's that's a that means i'm not really totally fully responsible for my ownness and i call it my ownness because it's my own beingness and it is my own beingness that actually is uh my understanding of heaven jesus talked about heaven being within us he also said that uh he was that, that, that we were gods. He said to the Pharisees, do your scriptures not tell you that we are gods? And he was referring to a, a statement in Psalms that said that we are gods. But that's not what we're taught by traditional religion. And so because we're not taught that, and because we haven't archetypally been taught to believe that we had the, even the right to say that we have divine, that we are divine beings, we don't say it. I was, uh, I was interested to watch, um, Marianne Williamson on an, a recent interview with Oprah Williams. And in the end, Oprah asked her, was there anything that she wanted to say? And I'm not going to quote this exactly, but basically what she said was, I am God. And, uh, she said, I am. And then there was a pause and quietly she said, God. Um, Neil Donald Walsh is very prominent for saying, we are divine beings. I believe that we are divine beings. The Bhagavad Gita believes that we're divine beings. The Sutras of Sufism believes that we're divine beings. The Bhagavad Gita believes that we're divine beings. Uh, this, the, the, the idea of, of becoming the, the Buddha within is an idea of just exactly the same as becoming the Christ within. So all of these religions are basically saying the same thing, only we don't know it because we're not looking for the mystical uh, language within the language. We're not looking for the root language, which actually tells us that we're divine beings in the, uh, in the, uh, in the old and the new Testament of the Bible. So because we've missed that little piece, we don't know what Jesus meant when he was talking about heaven. He talked about a kingdom of heaven that was within us. He talked about a kingdom of heaven that was within us, not a kingdom of heaven. That's a place out there. We go to after we die. He said nothing about dying to get there. He told lots of stories about what the kingdom of heaven was, and he defined it by parable because people are just not willing to see that we are, can right now live in the kingdom of heaven. So we're going to talk about that more. What does it mean to live in the kingdom of heaven? And is it possible to do right after the break? Don't miss it. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Do you ever ask yourself, Why am I here? What is my purpose in life? What do I do next? 
Life energies are based on the chakras, and this is the foundation of holistic healing. Find the balance in your life by tuning in to Healing Possibilities with your host, Tracy Makarenko. Through engaging guests and Tracy's spiritual guidance, each week we'll explore a different modality of healing designed to help you find peace and wholeness. Listen every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio. Because shift happens. Be visionary. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And the Authentic Living Show is sponsored by the Institute of Noetic Sciences, dedicated to expanding science beyond conventional paradigms. Founded by Apollo 14 astronaut Edgar Mitchell, IONS is a nonprofit research, education, and membership organization whose mission is supporting individual and collective transformation through consciousness research, educational outreach, and engaging in a global learning community in the realization of human potential. You can join that learning community at www.noetic.org. So what we've been talking about today is how it is that our duality trans state, as well as all the codes and morals that have erupted from that based in fear, uh, have, are blocking us from seeing that we are divine beings because they have us measuring our worth. Now, I want to be really clear that when I say that a divine being no longer needs to measure his or her worth, that does not mean that that divine being is perfect. Because we have an idea that when we, when we, if we ever get to heaven, uh, or if we ever become, uh, the bodhisattva or whatever, we're going to be good people. Uh, and we won't sin anymore. And what I'm saying is that the concept of sin as well as the concept of goodness are faulty premises. Because they're based in the idea that we are separate from the divine. It's, it's really hard when we try to, uh, we can find lots and lots of ways of sort of describing the divine in the Bible and, uh, and in other, uh, texts as well. But I want to cite the Bible here because one of those things that happens in the Western world is that, uh, when the, when we, when we talk about the Bible, we have to talk about it in terms of the grand scheme of a battle between good and evil, sin and goodness. Um, but that leaves us to ask the question, what do we do with scriptures like this one? I am Yahweh and there is none else. So there's a, there's a first thing right there. 
I am Yahweh, and there is none else. I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, Yahweh, do all these things. That's from Isaiah 45, 7. Look it up. What that basically means is that there is nothing else besides divine energy. What we call evil, what we call peace, what we call goodness are just names that we give to things we don't understand. But everything is actually divine energy. There is none else. So if the divine has created both the light and the darkness, then that leaves us to wonder about this whole concept of good and evil. And if we talk about the whole concept of good and evil in terms of its blocking us from seeing that we are divine beings, then we have to recognize that once we become a divine being, we're not even thinking about good and evil. We're not not only not thinking about evil, but we're not thinking about good either. Because goodness is based on the premise that it bounces off of evil to define itself. Alright, so when we, when we're, when we're talking about ourselves as divine beings, what we're saying is that our bodies, our minds, our spirits, our hearts, our fingerprints are made up of divine energy. Everything that I am is divine energy. Now, okay, so we look at that and we go, well now wait a minute. Does that mean that when I go up and slap somebody in the face that I'm being a divine person and that they deserve that slap and they should, that we just slip back off into the duality trance state? No, we're not. deserving first is a concept that comes from the idea of, 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 um, the duality trance state. What I'm talking about is the difference not between good and evil, but between blindness and seeing. That's what we're talking about. If I can see that I'm a divine being, then I can live in heaven right here, right now on planet Earth, and it won't have anything to do with good or evil. It'll simply have to do with me being my truest essence, which is divine. And so when when Jesus talked in the Sermon on the Mount about all those rules about, you know, if, if a man leaves his wife and marries someone else, he's committing adultery, and if she uh, gets with somebody else, she's committed adultery as well, or, you know, uh, um, and, uh, you know, if your man, if your eye tempts you, pluck it out. All, all of those things are a mockery of our system that says the thing about good and evil. Because what he said in the beginning and what he said in the end of that sermon was, if our holiness or our goodness does not attain to that of the divine, it's nothing. It means nothing. So, you know, all these rules that we've made up are just a joke. Because our our goodness or badness, whatever that is 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 based in an idea that we have to have rules because we are separate from the divine. But if the divine creates the light and the darkness, then if I'm a divine being, I can walk in the darkness. I can walk in the darkness, meaning I cannot see and still see. I can walk in the light and it's not so bright that it blinds me. I can be who I truly, essentially am. And we know what that is when we feel it, when we, when we are it. We experience ourselves as having great depths of compassion, great depths of self-love simultaneously. That's how we experience ourselves when we come to know that we're divine beings. 
And we come to know that as a vision of who we are and who everybody else is and what everybody, everything else is. And as we see that, we operate differently in the world and we come from that operation from a different place. Even Jesus said, I can do nothing of my own initiative. And what I think he meant by that was that he could not operate based on the part of him that believed he was separate from the divine. I don't want to call that ego, although that term has been used to encompass that possibility that we are separate from the divine. But we we ha- we have a part of us that believes it's separate from the divine, and it's that belief that has an operative ability in our lives, a capacity to operate. It has a capacity to cause our behavior. And out of that belief, I can accomplish absolutely nothing. Anything that is truly accomplished is done by the divine that I am in me. So the divine acts as me, in me, through me, for me, and that's how I operate. And when I'm doing that, I am heaven. I am living in heaven. Okay? So when we talk about heaven as as a place somewhere out there, when we're missing the boat. That is not anything like what Jesus said. And if we really, really pay attention to what Jesus said, we know that he did not say there was a place called hell either. If we really look at the root language or even study the language on its surface, we can come to see that that's not at all what he was talking about. Hell is the duality trance state. Hell is that other psychological, spiritual place inside of us that says that we're living in a place that believes itself separate from the divine. We live that out as if it's the only fact of life. And we premise all of our paradigmatic actions upon the notion that we are separate from the divine and that because we are, we can be bad and and, and or good and we can go to hell or heaven as this place out there and we can suffer as a result of the fact that life is just hard. Well, life is only hard when we live in hell. <laughs> life is only hard when we live in the psychology, in the psychic structure that says that uh, we are separate from the divine. When when we believe that we are one with the divine, that we are the divine, we are uh, a molecule of the divine, if you want to think of it that way, acting in its own self, then we live from a whole different place. And it, it we can feel the difference. We can know the difference. We can walk in that difference. And that is heaven right here on earth. And so when we talk about uh, whether or not we can live on in heaven right here on earth, the answer is yes. Will we still suffer? That's going to be, that's the first question we want. Well, will we going to still suffer? Well, in the duality trance state, there's suffering because we believe we're separate from the divine. If there is no duality trance state, there is no separation from the divine. If there's no separation from the divine, how can there be suffering? So when we go there, when we, and many of us have been there, many of us have been there in states of meditation or in states of, of uh, where we just suddenly open up and begin to see. Um, Jan Levin, Van Zant talks about breaking your heart open. Um, and I believe that's true. Sometimes our suffering can allow us to 
our hearts to break open so that we begin to see who we really are, so that we begin to become the I am that I am. That notion that says, be still and know that I am God, says, in stillness, we learn who we are. Be still to know that I am God. Okay? So, from that stillness, become we just sort of get downloaded this knowledge, this knowingness that we are divine beings. And we feel it as joy. We feel it as lightness. We feel it as compassion. We feel it as truth. We feel it as a, a solid beingness that just will not broach non-beingness, which is what we are when we're in hell or the duality trans state. So heaven and hell are right here at our fingertips. They are not some place out there in the universe that we're supposed to uh, attain to or avoid based on our goodness or badness. I mean, we went from sacrificing to the gods to have a good crop or a good yield of, of uh, uh, you know, good yield of beef, uh, you know, this year or uh, uh, to be able to get across the ocean where we were going on our ship or to be able to win the war. We did those sacrifices, okay? And eventually it became the behavior was the sacrifice. So now the gods would be good to me if I behaved well. And then it became, well, if well, let's put down all these rules so that we can behave well within those rules. And, of course, that's really not working. Look around. Hello. This is not working. <laughs> we're not behaving any better because we've got these rules. Uh, but... Uh, when we open up to who we are, we naturally behave out of that. And that's what Jesus meant when he said, I can do nothing of my initiative. It's what he meant when he said, ye are gods. It's what, it's what, uh, Yahweh meant when he said, there is none else. I am Yahweh. There is none else. Now, traditionally that's transmitted, translated to mean, oh, there's no other gods. So, you know, forget worshiping those other guys out there because they're not real. I'm real. But if you think about that verse from what it actually is saying, there is none else. There is nothing but me. There is nothing but divine energy. And that is heaven. That is heaven right here on earth when we can experience it. And it's experiencing it that makes the difference. So when we do occasionally get a glimmer of it, we know it. We know it. We can feel it. We know what we've experienced. But we don't generally call it heaven and we don't generally call it divine because we're afraid to use those terms. I'm using those terms because that's what it is. And that's what we need to come to terms with is the fact that we are divine beings because it's that that is the answer to everything else. Every moral dilemma you'll ever find is answered in the fact that we are divine beings. Okay. So, coming out later this year and uh uh it'll be it'll be entitled inhabiting heaven now and also remember that next week is halloween so we're going to be talking about the spooky day of halloween we're going to be talking about your fear the big f word and remember your job should you choose to accept it is to give birth to yourself
Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time here on the 7th Wave Network. We'll talk again next week.